Welcome to Genesis Community Church. Thanks for those who are with us in the room. Uh, to those of you who are outside or are uh, at home, uh, we thank you guys for joining us. And again, I get to serve as one of the pastors here, uh, which is just a joy for, for me to do. So it really is an honor to be able to be here, to be going through the Sermon on the Mount with you guys. Um, and we're going to take, it's a leisurely stroll. <clears throat> so we're going to finish out through November with this, and then we're going to actually start again next year, continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount, because we're only getting through chapter 5. Uh, but the passage where Jesus speaks about salt and light and, uh, is one that we've probably heard before, but maybe we haven't heard it in the context of the sermon. We just kind of know the idea. So Matthew 5 Verses 13 through 16, uh, I'd just like to read them for us. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, device, you can use that. Um, if you don't have either, you can read behind me. But always good to kind of look at the words we're trying to read here and uh, see what's there. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word in your word that gives us understanding and shows us both where to find life and how to live that life. Thank you that Jesus instructs us. We pray that he does that again today, that his name would be lifted high in all that we do. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so there are probably, we talked about pity last week. Oh, I pity you. I feel so bad for you if you are going through a hard time. And how in the Beatitudes, Jesus kind of flips that on its head and goes, no, 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 no. Don't, don't feel bad for that person. Don't feel bad for the one being persecuted. Don't feel bad for the one who is poor in spirit. Don't be bad for, feel bad for the peacemaker, right? For places of uh, maybe the, the world does not esteem. Please know that in God's world, that's an incredibly valuable place to be. You're walking with him. And there are times when we look at our position in life, our status, wherever we are, and uh, we want to get out of it. We want to be upwardly mobile. We want to be carefree. Nothing to worry about. Financially independent. Able to make our own decisions. Able to do our own things. Uh, I just know for my own sake, I'm generally not the best decision maker. Uh, you know, but we still have this vision of life that's like, all I want to do is get better and better and better and better and better in this life. Because that's what life's all about. I want to do those things, be awesome, do everything that I love, and just, you know, run through life as hard as I can, and it's going to be great. Earn a ton of money, leave a bunch to my kids, move on, feel good, we got it. Uh, but when a friend and dear brother in the Lord uh, was told by others, and he, he serves amongst the poorest often of the world, and has done it for quite some time, uh, he was recently... His plans had changed, and he was in a country that was now being decimated by poverty, uh, loss of life, loss of limb, loss of uh, just hope. And so he began to go, and the team say, I think we need a minister here. 
We had plans, but let's let the Lord redirect our plans. It seems like the people's lives here have been upended. Let's minister here and bring hope uh, to those who are poor, uh, those who are without any hope, those who have no joy, those who are struggling to even get by. Let's stay. <clears throat> and so, when, you know, any, anytime a missionary sends out an update, you know, to people who are often back in the states but not always but often back you know they get the replies back oh man brother so glad you're there keep at it you know God's using you and there was an interesting thing when he was told when he told the plan apparently some people replied back and said I'm so glad you get to do what you love so glad you get to be doing what you love his reply was interesting I'm going to read his reply if one means that we really enjoy doing what we are currently doing, our resounding response would be absolutely not. It hurts. Our bodies cry out for rest. Our insecurities and fears demand stability and security. We are moving from residency in a country to only God knows how long we can be here. We have moved from good jobs and regular income to facing needs, not necessarily ours. That are astronomical. It is indescribably painful to talk with those in total desperation, knowing you can only do so much, no matter how much we have to give. Our flesh cries out to run away and hide our eyes from such horrible suffering. We are getting older. We are always tired. We've still not fully recovered from COVID-19. I never mention it, but we all suffer deeply and daily from the loss of family and friends, from the loss of home as most would describe it, we honestly do not love what we do. We love Jesus. And I think when we hear that, I hope for us it is sobering. Because when we talk about somebody like this who's been doing this work since the 80s, it's not as if this is someone who's just like trying out the mission field and then going, I'm out, I don't want to do this. Since the 80s, is saying, I don't, I'm not doing what I love. I'm following my Lord. If I were doing what I loved, I would run to stability, run to family, run to grandkids, run to friends. I would live that life. But I've died. That's not my life. My life is his. That perspective that was just read, and we're going to hear it again at the end, That perspective that was just read is one that knows that life is not lived for here. That life is not about what is going on right now. It is a life that is looking at what is to come. Because that person has found the Lord. They know he is better. They have found Jesus worth it. And when Jesus is worth it, everything else that comes your way has a different type of significance. So we need to remember that a good life by the world's standards is not a good life by the Lord's. The world will tell you one thing. It'll tell you to be true to yourself. You do you. That's how it's going to be. The Lord tells us we need to die to ourselves. Only when we remember and live out life as God has ordered it do we start to see that it is different. 
So this morning's passage, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, is a passage many people, you don't even have to be in church long to hear about it. In fact, even if you're listening this morning and you're not a Christian, you have probably heard the phrase salt and light. We might even use the phrase like salt of the earth. You've heard this. So the passage itself might not be new, but I don't often think that we listen to it in the context of what Jesus has been teaching Jesus just started with the Beatitudes, didn't he? He started with this list of, of responses or, or promises, in a sense, that belong to those who are his, and these kind of internal disposition that changes those who, are more, those who mourn, those who are meek, uh, those who are peacemakers, those who are merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, all of these kind of dispositions that have a hope coming now he turns and says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. So in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we will go through this passage, and it's rather straightforward. Once we understand where we are, rather straightforward. It says you're unique, you need to shine. But as we look back on the Beatitudes and the perspective of life that the Beatitudes give us, hopefully it helps us to realize what Jesus is saying here. And that we don't apply something that maybe Jesus isn't saying here. Because that's something that's some, one of our classic things to do is like, hey, let's look at what Jesus said. And then let's say what Jesus might have said because of that. So like Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. It's coming right after the Beatitudes. So let's kind of follow this together. And we just start with this idea, which is going to carry us most of the way. That our perspective on life serves God's purpose in the world. Now, this is the unique perspective that comes from above, that comes from the Beatitudes. Our perspective that is marked by those who follow God and know the world that is to come, our perspective on life serves God's purpose in this world. The purpose is coming at the end of the passage. So, Often when we talk about salt and light, you're going to get some kind of motivational speech. And I have probably, I'm sure, you can, I've preached on this passage before, and I'm sure I gave a motivational speech. Hey guys, get out there. Go be saltier. Go shine brightly. Go do these things, right? Like, and so I kind of do this like as a pep rally on how I want you guys to live and how I want you to kind of approach life. So hey, where do you need to go put salt on something? Where do you need to go call somebody out? Where do you need to go address something going on with a friend? Because you're salt, and go be salty, and you're light, and go shine that light. And so we kind of turn this into some rallying cry for somehow being this disruptive force in the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to be different. But we kind of take this and just divorce it from the fact that Jesus has just been talking about suffering, pain, mourning, meekness poor in spirit, right? Not dependent upon yourself. Jesus has just been talking about these things, and then he moves to telling you that you're salt and light. And so rather than just hear this as like, how can I be louder for Jesus so that people know what I stand for? I know what I'll do. I'll post it on Facebook because I'm salt and light. It's not like that's not that's not what we're going for here. Or uh, how can I shine light on somebody else's sins so that they ask me how they can repent? That's what I want. Like, I'm just going to shine brighter so they go, oh my gosh, you're right. How do, I, how do I repent? How can I do more so that I can be more for God? Those are often the kind of rallying cries that I'm sure, knowing me, I've been guilty of giving when you talk about these. 
Just go stir it up. But these little platitudes, I don't think, help us when we think about the endurance that living faithfully really requires and the work that God does in our heart and the actual character and countenance of those who follow Jesus and what actually stands out. Very often, it's not being noisy that stands out. It's the difference that comes from knowing God and the perspective that knowing God gives to those who follow him. Because everything else then has meaning. Because you know what's to come. So we don't want to just say time to grow is salt and light without first looking at what Jesus has said. The Beatitudes, a state of happiness or gladness that comes not from our situation in life but from the world to come that exists for us as God's children. When we live for the world that is to come and not for the world that is, that's the perspective that is otherworldly and does not need an introduction. So to the passage, Jesus calls his followers the salt of the earth. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, we might hear someone say something like this, and we might hear the phrase, right? We already used it. Oh, they're good salt of the earth people. They're just salt of the earth. Well, what does that mean when we say it in a colloquial sense? They're just kind of down to earth, wholesome, nice probably invite you over for lunch after church, like that's what they're going to do. We don't normally attach that statement to suffering or to peacemaking or their ability to give mercy or the way that they handle persecution. When we, when we see that, we don't go, oh, they're salt of the earth. We kind of use this as like this wholesome, nice, caring, southern charm kind of person. That's who you are. You know, you might use the phrase granola. Oh, you're just so, you're just granola, just good person. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't going, hey, you're the salt of the earth. You're just good people. Right? That's the phrase we love. You're just, yeah, they're good people. Jesus says his followers are the salt of the earth. And at this point in time, we often do, we're going to bounce off and go, well, what does salt do? We'll say salt preserves, or salt flavors, or salt makes things thirsty, and all of these things are true. And the Christian could well be these things in the world. But you're going to see parallel ideas. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's going to say, Salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything. You are the light of the world. No one lights a lamp and hides it. And so it's right, identity, purpose, identity, purpose. And he just kind of goes, you, just, you don't do the thing it's not made to do. You do the thing that it's created to do. So you don't light a lamp, especially, you know, think about Jesus, right? It's not like these kinds of lights. You're not going to light a lamp and then put it under a basket. You're going to burn the house down. So he's just talking about, yeah, like, we don't have to go, well, what if you lose your saltiness? Oh, my God, like, what if I, what if I lose my saltiness? I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, it's, it, his point is, you don't lose your saltiness. You don't lose it. You might, you might feel in varying degrees of ineffectiveness for the Lord. I get that. We all walk through that, don't we? We all walk through times of, of what feels like stronger <clears throat> commitment and connection with the Lord. 
periods of growth that seem more sustained or more significant than other periods of growth. And so we've all kind of been on that roller coaster of walking with the Lord through things. But it's not as if all of a sudden we're like, man, I'm just, I got no salt left, man. I'm out. So this is what I, when we think about salt and these ideas together, salt and light, this is not something that comes from a brainstorming session. Like, you know, it's a, this is not like an advanced strategic planning master plan of saltiness. Like, in the next 10 years, we're going to increase our saltiness tenfold as a church. Because Jesus speaks to who you are. You are the salt of the earth. And what's the salt of the earth? Salt of the earth, looking at how Jesus is teaching it, are those who live life differently because they know the Lord. They don't get in a room and go, how could we live life differently? Like, let's, what are the 13 things that we could do to live life differently, to prove to people that we know God? Uh, so again, you are the salt of the earth. When you go to another country, if you've been there, sometimes when you go to another state, you don't have to go far, but let's just say you go to another country, because Texas is kind of like its own country anyways. You don't go into another culture and think, how can I look more American? How can I be more American here? Like, what do I need to do in this environment to prove to these people that I'm American? No joke, you get, you, like, you get off a plane and you say one word and they're like, American? They might look at how you walk, or how you talk, or how you dress, or the way that you parent, and they go, American. Not hard. It's not hard. They go, oh, you, are you, you, you're like, if you're running around somewhere from another country, go, did anybody here speak English? Then they know you're an American, because Americans only speak one language, and basically everybody else speaks multiple ones. Like, anybody here speak English? We're never doomed. The point is, you don't have to try in a different place to go be who you are. You just are who you are, right? You don't have to go run after it. You just are that. And so how foolish of us as Christians to think, how do we then become this? It would be like landing in a foreign country and going, how do I become like I'm not from here? Once you are in Christ, you aren't from here. And you don't live for here. And your life is not for here. And your hope is not here. And over time, it changes everything about you externally. But what's internally changed is already there. Right? It's that inside-out transformation that so often happens where the Lord changes us. And the rest of our life here on this earth, we are figuring out what in the world that means. So when Jesus says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. He's not speaking about your salvation. Some people might say that. They go, oh, well, you know, you don't want to become unsalty because then God's going to take you and he's going to throw you out because you're no longer good for him. Because that makes our salvation contingent upon how hard we're working at being salt. That's not how it works. I think what we're having here is Jesus going, you use things for their purpose. If it doesn't serve that purpose, you don't use it for that. But you are the salt of the earth. 
We don't need to fear that we'll somehow lose something if we're not salty enough. Because now it then just becomes how salty are we? So when we put things on the wrong playing field, we make the wrong decisions about what we're reading and what we're seeing and what we're doing because of it. Now, and don't hear me say, I don't want you guys to ever care about following the Lord faithfully. Externally, I do want you to do that. In fact, Jesus is going to spend the rest of chapter 5 after this week basically saying, I expect more from you. I don't want you just to, to conform just to the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And you're going to realize that you can't do those things. And so even though I want you to live this way, first thing you got to do is come to me. Let me be that for you. So you're the salt of the earth. Saltiness won't be lost if you're in him. So don't worry about not being anything. It's going to be much more about living in keeping with what God has done and in keeping with how life is to be lived. Again, as we look above. You are the light of the world. The next image, light of the world. That makes sense. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, right? Put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So remember, you're the salt of the earth. Salt loses its taste. How can it be made salty? Not worrying about it. Like he's just going, that's not how that works. You're the light of the world. No one hides a light. At least on purpose, right? You ever turned your phone on and then you put you know, your light and you put it in your back pocket and then like your back pocket's glowing for a little while. Somebody's like, what's wrong with you? You're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> you use things for their intended purpose. I think sometimes we really hyper worry about the things that Jesus says. He's just illustrating. Like you have a light, the light shines. We don't go bring these light bulbs in this room, making this room brighter outside because we don't need it. We have the sun. So the light shines. We'll see the application that Jesus gives, which I think is the application for us, right? Let your light shine before men. But what does light do, right? Light shines. It doesn't try to be light any more than darkness tries to be darkness. Can't hide. That's Jesus' point. Salt is salt. Light is light. You can't hide who you are. You can't hide who you are, especially when you look different than the world that's around you. Now, listen to me, Genesis, anybody. If you're not a part of Genesis, I want you to be, so join our church. But do we as elders want you to grow in boldness? Yes. Yes, we do. Do we want you to share Jesus with your neighbor, Susan? Yes, we do. Do we want you to give and to serve? Yes. Do we want you to find ways to care for the poor? We do. Do we want you to <clears throat> be in a community group, talk with others about scripture, be around the word and pray and be concerned about the things of God? Yes, we want all of those things for all the members of our church. We want all of those things. But, you know what else? We also want you to recognize that being poor in spirit is a good thing. To not be dependent upon yourself. That being a peacemaker, seeking reconciliation, is exhausting, but glorious. That not depending on yourself, even though you might not advance as quickly as those around you, 
does not mean that you aren't loved by God and are rewardless. If your life is salty, or a salty life, and a light-filled life, is a life that is surrendered to Jesus, abides in him, suffers under persecution, does not lose heart, gives mercy to others in this world when the world can't or won't. You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, you are his. So take comfort in that truth, that if you belong to Jesus, and these are growing in you as you continue to walk with Jesus. You don't have to go try to be this more, because once you do that, as good as it might feel, as you flip toward, what, effort. I have to do this more and better and harder and faster and saltier so that I can be seen as Christ's disciple. But think about Jesus' ministry. Remember Matthew 1, 2, 3, and 4 a couple weeks ago? We just kind of flew by Matthew 1, 2, 3, and 4. And what was Jesus doing? Was he like, hey, everybody, pay attention to me. Look at me. Come on. Be more serious about me. Like he wasn't running around trying to just rally up in you know, business meetings going, hey, I'm Jesus, could I come talk to your people about considering me as Savior and Messiah? Like he wasn't doing those things. Why? Because he didn't need to, because the works of the Messiah in him were evident. His preaching, his healing, his teaching, his heart was evident. People would look at him and go, you're different than anybody else who has ever taught us. You teach differently. You act differently. You love differently. You serve differently. He didn't just have to go, all right, how are we going to be different? Why? Because he wasn't trying to look like the Messiah. He was the Messiah. We aren't trying to look like Christians. Belong to Jesus. There are times the Lord disciplines us and corrects us. Why? Because we aren't living in keeping with those values. But it doesn't change our identity. Remember the scriptures, the Lord disciplines those he loves. As fun as it might be to discipline other people's children, I have to discipline my own. And they cause enough problems. The Lord disciplines his children. That's okay. He corrects. Why? Because we're never going to perfectly live in keeping with all that is there for us, but it doesn't change who we are. We're his. I want you to take comfort this morning and not worry about how do I do this more and better right now. I always think there's good conversation to go more and better. Are we availing our hearts fully? Or are we just filling our days with, you know, like many of us do, like with Netflix and sports and just kind of get through the day and that's really it? Like, that's a pretty dull way to live, but we've all gotten rather accustomed to it, especially when there are fewer things to do. I want us to be potentially convicted by that and let the Lord teach us and instruct us on how to hunger and thirst for righteousness but all because of who we are. 
So I just want to say this, because this is the way, I'm worded a little differently, in the same way that your light shine before men, in verse 16, it's just this, live for the Lord, and let him do his work in the world. Live for the Lord, and let him do his work in the world. Remember just a few weeks ago, beginning of September, beginning of this month, because we're still in September, September's been long, guys, uh, so... Beginning of the month, we went through Acts 2, and these people were living out just the values of the new community, right? The spirit-infused community. And what we have there is the last, Acts 2, 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That as we live in keeping with who we are, the Lord does a work that we could not have anticipated. So when Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, hear him say let your light shine. Don't, don't go drum up more. You have what you need in him. It's at your disposal. Let your light shine before men because light is seen. It exposes. That They may see your good works and glorify your God who is in heaven, your Father who is in heaven. We live for the Lord and let him do his work in the world. It sounds simple enough. Your salt, your light, therefore, just be that. That's what he says. Be that. But it's interesting because shining is often um, painful but peaceful. It's that life we read about at the beginning. It's not necessarily doing what you love here on this earth, but loving Jesus and following him faithfully. Uh, a few things. I do want to be clear here. I do think social media has kind of screwed up our heads a little bit about what shining is. Shining isn't self-promotion. It isn't trying to be seen so that others will give you a like. But that is often what churches hang a lot of their success, and even what individual disciples will hang a lot of their success on. Will you know, I got I to gotta shine, so let's go ahead and just show everybody that we did this, right? So it's a, it's a, you know, a, a picture of your Bible and your coffee cup early in the morning so people know that you followed Jesus. It is a certain kind of statement or certain kind of way or letting people know that you checked in at Genesis. Hey, I was here at church today. Where were you? I was there, right? Like letting people know we're salty and we got to get there, right? Because then we use that word salty and we're like, you know, being salty like annoying. That's what the Christian's here to do, be annoying. That's not what you're here to do. And so it's not self-promotion. Uh, promotion. It's not posting your service opportunity. You're talking about how great it was that you got to go, you know, whatever it is. It's not convincing people to come to your church because of how fast it's grown or how big the budget is. But it's still what we do. God must be using us because people are here. God must be using us because we've been able to pay our bills. We don't need to self-promote. We need to live for our Lord. And there's no need to show people, tell people, talk about it, post it. Why? Because when you are who you are, people see it. 
And when you live the values of the Lord who has called you and changed you, it is seen. Because there are passages after passages about how we are sojourners, strangers, aliens, ambassadors, longing for the world that is to come. We have passage after passage about how we don't belong to this world. And so as we continue to set our sights on that world that is to come and we live differently in this life that is, we are salt and light. We do stand out. So as you live a life rooted in Christ and reflect more and more on the disposition that we see of those who follow him, which is not bombastic and loud and annoying, but is suffering, persecuted, peacemaking, merciful, not self-dependent, but dependent upon God. When we see that, others do see it. And then what happens? You stand out because you're a citizen not of this world, but the world that is to come. But I do want to encourage you in one way. Because I do want you to speak about Jesus to people. I want you to speak about Jesus to people. So as you live this life rooted in Christ, and people say, why do you do it that way? How come you haven't yelled yet? You should have yelled by now. Why can you watch your spouse suffer like this and be hopeful? How are you still smiling? Why do you not care that you don't know what's happening tomorrow? When you lost your job, why... Why do you still say, I have hope? It's going to be okay. It's clearly not okay. When, when those come about as you live for your Lord and the perspective on how you hit everything that might come your way changes, this is Genesis is what I want you to be able to do. I can do that because of Jesus. I can do that because of Jesus. And you, if the Lord provides an opportunity to go for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, then take the opportunity. But what happens as we live, according to Jesus, as we live in the ways that he has asked for us to live, then what begins to happen is that those around us see this life and they glorify, make known, right? They speak of our Father who is in heaven. So when the opportunity is provided, when somebody says to you, why do you do it that way? How come you haven't acted this way yet? I would be so frustrated if I were you. Why is that different? How come you speak like this? Why do you parent like that? Why do you teach like that? How come you have approached this situation this way? When that happens... I want you to be able to say, the reason I can do this is because of Jesus and what he has walked through for me. And in some instances, that might be all it takes. Or the first of multiple conversations that you might have. Where you can speak to people about your Lord because you're just living in keeping with him. Now what often happens, and this is where I think we do make the mistake and maybe don't live out what the Lord would say happens. Is that when these situations do come up, sometimes it's like, why do you do that? You're like, oh no, I'm just like you. You know, I still struggle with that. It's still hard for me, right? When you start to diminish the fact that God is doing something through you so that you remove any opportunity to speak about him. Like that's where I think we screwed up a little bit. 
And so you go, oh, no, you know, you could do this. Like, then you diminish what God's done in you. So when somebody says, how do you do it that way? I, I, can't, I can't believe that. Why, why are you living like this? How can you hang your, hold your head up high even in this moment? I would have never experienced that. I've never seen that. You don't need to say, oh, well, no, you know, that kind of false humility. Oh, no, I'm just like you. Like, like, if you've been changed by Jesus, you're not just like everybody. You're just like everybody in that you have sinned and do sin. You still struggle. You still got a mortgage to pay, more than likely. You still have everything else coming at you. But you are constitutionally different if you're in Christ. You are not the same person. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So when, as you live that new life, people recognize it, point back to the creator of that life, who is Jesus. It doesn't have to be much. But if somebody were hungry and you were carrying a loaf of bread and somebody said, where did you get that bread from? Would you say, oh no, I'm just like you. I was hungry once. You'll find it. Is that what you would say? <laughs> where, where did you get that bread from? Oh, I'll pray for you. You, you point them to the source. I got it from Jesus. He gave it to me. I'm different because of Jesus. I live this life because of Jesus. So I want to read again what we heard at the beginning. The same paragraph. With salt and light in mind. And see if perhaps after recognizing that this person lives a beatitude-like life, now let's listen to what they say about doing what we love and self-actualization and getting after it and doing everything and just crushing life on this side of eternity. Now let's hear it again. If one means that we really enjoy doing what we are currently doing, our resounding response would be absolutely not. It hurts. Our bodies cry out for rest. Our insecurities and fears demand stability and security. We are moving from residency to only God knows how long we can be here we have moved from good jobs and regular income to facing needs not necessarily ours that are astronomical. It is indescribably painful to talk with those in total desperation, to those uh, in total desperation, knowing you can only do so much, and no matter how much we have to give, no matter how much we have to give, our flesh cries out to run away and hide our eyes from the such horrible suffering. We are getting older. We are always tired. We've still not fully recovered from COVID-19. I never mention it, but we all suffer deeply and daily from the loss of family and friends, from the loss of home, as most would describe it. We honestly do not do, we do not love what we do. We love Jesus. As our love for Jesus grows, we recognize the work he's done for us more and more. It's not as if he's doing more work. We're just recognizing more of the work that was done. Our obedience to Jesus grows and our ability to endure grows. I mean, James said the same thing, didn't he? About suffering. 
Blessed is the one who has withstood trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tested by God. God is not tempted by evil. He, is not, uh, nor he does not tempt anyone. When James speaks of trial and suffering and endurance, you know where he learned it from. The words of his brother and the life of his brother, which showed a different way. But Jesus did the same thing, encouraging us to do. If you're in our F260 reading plan, you're reading John, the Gospel of John right now. What does Jesus do but go, hey, that, yeah, that thing? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what the Father says. He does the same thing. As people are like, uh, why do you, how do you do those works? I do the works the Father tells me. I listen to the Father. People see you, they say, why are, you, why, why are you like that? Because of Jesus. He's my obedience. He's my everything. So your life reflects him. The world sees him. And they glorify our Father who is in heaven. 